and welcome to another edition of Hit the Lights podcast. We've got a, another special episode regarding safe isolation today, but I do have Pete with me as usual. How are we doing, Pete? I'm not bad, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. We've got a uh, bit of a, a subject for us today on safe isolation. So, um, should we get cracking? I think that's wise. <laughs> So where, where's a, probably a good place to start? I mean, in terms of safe isolation, in terms of your business, obviously you look after a few people in terms of electrical work and, and stuff domestically. Do you look after uh, the safe isolations within your business? I mean, it depends. There's obviously people within there who would also carry out safe isolation, but it is something that's stressed and the importance of it. Everyone's got an approved voltage indicator dedicated for that task, approving unit and uh, full lock-up kit with notices, barriers, signs. I like to think OTT is good. Yeah, you can't ever be too safe, can you? With No, sometimes I actually think going OTT is the way to go because people think, why the bloody hell have you done all that? And you think, well, you've taken note then, haven't you? Yeah. No, definitely. So do you have um, processes? Obviously, you're going to speak through from a domestic point of view. I'm going to speak from more of an industrial point of view. So we've got probably some contrasting information and processes, maybe in terms of mine being a little bit more formalised with the, the documentation. But nonetheless, um, do you monitor, audit and review your processes project to project? Um in the context of i would probably look at each installation under its own merit but typically you're looking at a standard consumer unit setup you might have an older type board but normally it's a 60947-3 main switch which you would lock off or a 60898-61009 mcb rcbo so just use your standard domestic single phase lock off kits for that Obviously, ask permission. It's is it the builder, the client working from home, and then you yeah, just carry out with the uh, standard safe isolation procedure, test, retest. Fair enough. Yeah. Do you find? Do you find? No, I mean it's a straightforward answer, really, isn't it? It, it was a leading question, but um, in terms of like managing change, then do you um, have to, you know, review, reassess, and authorize as part of your day-to-day works? Not really, but there's other sort of things, obviously, like you'd keep a log of the voltage indicator, make sure that's kept in a safe condition, because, you know, tools quite often get thrown in your bag or whatever, but providing with cases, making sure they're maybe kept in the glove box of a van and only bought in when they're needed, having a separate, what I call safe isolation bag, so you just bring that in and that has your signs in it, your little barriers, your, your, your indicator and stuff. So I've recently bought a new voltage indicator, which um, I never actually used the proving unit before. I'd normally use just the main switch, but um, probably probably this year I've got a greater fear of electrics. I don't know why. I've even gone to the stage of like buying um, insulated gloves and stuff. Yeah. So just trying to up that level of safety. And I think it is good to perhaps have that awareness and even a slight fear of it, I guess, because I don't know if you've ever had a shock, but I certainly have as an apprentice. And, um, yeah, it's not something I really want to have again. So, no. yeah, I think up in those levels of safety, making sure you're being OTT with it all. And I think it's something that you should do. And then just do it again, just to make sure. Yeah. 
yeah no definitely i mean yeah from my point of view the one of the main ones working industrially within certainly within panels and stuff like that is obviously dealing with arc flash so yeah you are typically let's say rubbering up um to uh make sure you're not you know exposing yourself to any unnecessary uh arc flashes yeah i'm I'm with you because um obviously you've got a potential for a higher energy so obviously the arc flash stuff is important. That's not something I really know about, but I know you have to wear specific PPE, arc flash, um, clothing, face guards, certain gloves. And obviously um, from a health and safety point of view, the PPE would be the last protocol. You'd obviously try to eliminate the risk before all of that. I've actually seen a video recently where they were using like those little um, bomb squad robots and they turned on a installations from that have you ever seen anything like that no no uh, it sounds interesting well it makes sense doesn't it it just completely eliminate the risk yeah no definitely i, I suppose more more as uh you know let's say 3g wi-fi all these things become available to us we'll probably be doing more remotely as it's i'd just love to see the new ee advert like when the, <laughs> the plane coming and landing and there's kevin bacon and his full arc flash gear (laughs) so we're not doing this anymore now we've got the new ee safe isolation bot yeah it's coming it's coming so i mean some of the things like i have to consider um certainly industrially is you know risk assessments method statements um in terms of documentation drawings uh, certificates i think the the main thing probably certainly when you're getting into retrospectively entering an install is ensuring that all of these things are live they're updated they are accurate um so that before the next person starts their day's work i mean we heard uh, louise's podcast with us um uh, last week and obviously that was one of the major failings there that the documentation wasn't live it wasn't updated it wasn't current so um you know that's a key factor as well well this is something i just want to put to you now just come to mind but um domestically what sort of paperwork could we introduce there for this sort of policy um i mean certainly if you're entering a, let's say a finished domestic installation and you've got to tweak something or something of that nature i i mean the rams is applicable anyway so your mm-hmm. risk assessment the method statement if something's changed um fundamentally to the procedure and the method then that needs to be updated to reflect so you know industrially we might do a point of work risk assessment and method statement so that you you can vary it on the spot do a toolbox talk get everyone to sign that off um so that they've understood the change you know that's a that's a good way of communicating i think communication is probably the key word really um of what the change in circumstances are that could be also letting the client know of, about the changes and getting their buy-in and sign off as you would with before starting any isolations anyway other than that i think probably domestically it's how many other trades have you got working in in the proximity of of the works and bits and pieces like that yeah, I think that's a big one. I've heard stories of that before, you know, like the carpenter is sore, stopped working or something. So he's gone and re-energised the supply. I've even heard stories of people cutting the lock-off kit off so they can re-energise the supply. I mean, how stupid's that? I mean, it's insane, isn't it, that someone would do that? Yeah. Scary. Scary world. I actually, um, I think I've spoken about it on here before, but um, it reminds me of my first day at college. The tutor was like an old army boy. 
sort of like an old sergeant manager sort of like and um we all sat there so quite uh young and naive and he said before we get into any of this i just want to show you a, a little video so um we sat there brings up the video and it's in india and they're all on top of this train and all of a sudden this one guy reaches up grabs the headline and just explodes just burst into flame it's pretty horrific yeah and um obviously we're all taken back so, you know well, yeah, what's going on here and that and uh he stops the video and he just claps his hands and he goes right boys electrics so that, right we're listening yeah okay <laughs> yeah but, yeah it's um sometimes i guess the point is you can get complacent and you forget the dangers that can be caused it's uh yeah pretty scary and obviously even something as small as a six amp lighting circuit has the potential to kill you yeah no exactly it's um it's not fun having an electric shock um and it's, it's certainly not a badge of honor that i know some have made it to be um within the industry I, i've had it on two occasions once as an apprentice uh, twice as an apprentice actually um i was just coming out of my time and i was doing a, a very small board change um and the other end of the circuit was being worked on so there was two fuse boards one was being worked on in the house by let's say the the main electrician at the time i literally just come out of time i was doing the sub distribution board um and he'd energized before i was ready my end and i was literally just about to put the cover on and all that sort of stuff my arm just touched the buzz bar and yeah never felt a pain like it and never i haven't been electrocuted since because that was horrific so you know that was my complacency over within the industry yeah so i can recall two instances one as an apprentice when i was putting the board cover back on trying to be helpful and i just managed to make contact with the top of an mcb just um yeah. being being naive to it i was just trying to be helpful i wasn't asked to put it back on but i knew that was the next thing to do so i it was a plastic board but um, just because they're a bit warped and a bit fiddly, I was just trying to push it on and, yeah, accidentally touched the top of an MCB. And the other one was um, I was doing some minor works on an extractor fan in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. And there was a twin and earth going into a connector block with a flex coming out the other side. So I disconnected, I can't remember what happened, I turned the spur off or something, disconnected the flex then I was working away, turned it back on to test. It was dead, fantastic. And then apparently the feed end was the flex. So I grabbed the flex to start stripping it up and uh, it was live. So obviously I would sort of logically think the twin and earth was the feed, but it wasn't, it was the flex. Yeah. So yeah, just stupid really, but didn't really make sense. It's just someone's done something a bit odd. Yeah, I suppose, well, never take it for granted that cable types isn't it that's that's probably the lesson there on that one i think that there's lots of different scenarios as well um you know that can cause safe isolation and considerations around safety to lapse i think mean, one of the ones for myself um, of particular note was working um, at a tv studios in london we were doing a, a boxing day shutdown and we were basically putting um cts onto all of the incoming mains distribution and everything like that so it was a full shutdown of the tv studios for the day and this is obviously the one day a year so it was a 24-hour shutdown we had to get everything 
in and done and wired and and prepped and finished um, so that it could all be re-energized so that everyone could get their TV the following day. Um, and yeah, that was an incredible time pressure. And I think we got to about the 22 hour mark, something like that. We started re-energizing. Then we noticed a handful of the CTs had been put the wrong way and were reading the wrong readings. So we had to shut it all down again, get them uninstalled, reinstalled the right way, just, you know, little bits like that. And um, the, the pressure ramps up because that deadline ain't moving. And, you know, I think you just have to say, well, sod it, the job ain't getting finished. You know, if it's going back on, the job ain't getting finished. And luckily we did finish on that on that occasion. But certainly I think had I been the lead electrician in that scenario today, you would say, yeah, we're not going to finish on time. We're not going to risk any more safety. Um, just re-energise and you just have to do without your, your CTs for a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, sometimes you have to consider environmental factors such as time pressure and also um, something I can relate to is how busy the site is. I mean, some days I'm on a domestic site and you can have 15, 20 people on site working. Is that a good day to try and do a board change or is that a good day to try and do some live working? Not live working, but you know what I mean, work with um, time pressure. Because as soon as you turn it off, you can guarantee everyone will want it back on within about two seconds. As you're saying then about just taking it and it is what it is, it's obviously a failure of the day, you haven't got the CTs on right. I think sometimes you have to say today is not the day for us to re-energise this. We need a day when there's no one here or even booking out of our slot so you can do your work with a clear mind and safely. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, some some of the things as well that we put in place, certainly uh, industrially, you know, we're looking at um, different permit systems as well. Um, so we've got the like, you know, if you wanted to walk onto a site, obviously you're going to be assessed for competence before you even get onto the site. So there'll be potentially an interview um, assessment of all your qualifications. Um, then you'll be looking at uh, permit to enter systems, uh, permit to isolate limitation of access you know then you've got the, the you know the key registers and, and stuff like that so there's quite a lot of additional procedures that will uh, be going into those for that period yeah no i agree and i think it's better in that environment because you have all the barriers should we say from the red tape i mean have you encountered any unusual circumstances where that you think it would be prudent to to think about it one that springs to mind for me is you know using um a cat and jenny and breaking ground or driving rods or doing things like that and just being fully aware of of the supplies the surroundings the utilities when completing those sorts of works yeah i mean totally i mean obviously the first point i want to make is the limitations of a cat and jenny obviously it's a signal and receiving device a bit like a tone tracer or something but um that means it obviously can't pick up every cable but then it's good practice. I remember when I was doing my SMSTS course, there was um, the training within that is to make sure that when you are excavating, you're not just using big machinery like a, a digger or something. You're also using hand tools to expose the dangers. So it's obviously good to um, make sure that the team working around the cables and the excavations are suitably trained and competent. And um, I've had it before, um, people are digging out trenches next thing you know they've gone through the 
the mains cable or a sub-main feeding the, the pool house or something. So, uh, yeah, it's all about knowing your environment and making sure you're acting in a sensible manner. I think one, one of the other ones as well um, that may, maybe people don't necessarily think about, and particularly if you're working on, on the systems, let's say on your own or as part of a smaller team, but it's about checking the supplies after, before and after each shift. You know, if you're coming back the following day, um, you know, there's probably good habits when you're doing like plasma courses and temporary scaffolds that you should check it before every shift, it's, you know, that sort of thing. I think it's whenever you walk away, even if you went to the van or if you went for lunch break or if you had a phone call and disappeared for 15 minutes. I mean, how long does it take to get your testers out and safely isolate again? Two, three minutes? Yeah, no, definitely. No, I don't disagree with that. I was thinking more if you're, I suppose, working on it for four to five hours, then you leave for the night, come back first thing the next day, just check everything. The status quo is the status quo. You'd, you'd hope. Someone hasn't, you know, chainsawed off the the padlock. <laughs> <laughs> of all the tools to use, it'd be a chainsaw. But no, I, I agree. I guess the point is check, check, recheck, then check again. So in terms of the safe isolation procedure, how familiar are you with that as a step-by-step? Depending on what you've got wrote down, it could be something completely <laughs> different. However, just um, for my own understanding, it would always be to seek permission to begin with, identify the circuit, lock off and create your sort of safe working zone with barriers and then it would be to test on a known source or approving units or hang on before that test your meters there are no breaks they're all suitable for the task then we're going to prove them test on the supply be it single or three phase reprove or retest the tester and then obviously you are safe to work is what i would say I think you're pretty much there. Maybe slightly different terminology, but I will I'll just quickly run through it as a quick set of bullet points. Yeah, good to hear it again. Yeah. Um, so obtain permission to start work. Again, like I kind of highlighted already, you might need a permit. Um, identify the source or sources um, of supply using an approved voltage indicator or test lamp. Prove that the approved voltage indicator or test lamp is functioning correctly. So obviously that's your proving unit. Um, isolate the supply or supplies. Secure the isolation, so that will be uh, your lock-off kits and bits and pieces. Prove the system is dead using the uh, approved voltage indicator or test lamp. Prove that the approved uh, voltage indicator or test lamp is functioning correctly, again, so again with the approving unit. And put up your warning signs, tell other people that the electrical installation has been isolated. And then once the system is proved dead, work can begin. Just two things I'd probably want to add to that. One is obviously the um, the lock-off kit in that, um, I think it was Richard Emery actually made the, this point. A lot of lock-off kits come with two keys. Mm-hmm. So what Richard said is the first thing he does is cut one of the keys in half and throw it away. So then there's just one key, which to me makes fantastic sense. Yeah. And secondly, on the um, sources of supply you mentioned, probably a prudent point to make because nowadays we're looking at the uh, obviously the chapter eight the prosumers installations mm-hmm. so we have pv island mode car chargers battery storage all of a sudden now we're not just turning off a main switch we have isolators and are they the correct type and a lot more things to obviously be checking even domestically no yeah definitely yeah 
variety of supplies is uh, is always key, isn't it? And obviously looking at the various warning signs and sources, etc. is don't just consider the one. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously stuff like you do, you get all the UPS systems and the, the backups and the generators in parallel. And that's maybe sort of expected in that environment. However, domestically, a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of rule of thumbs in domestic. All of a sudden, we have it all. So I would prefer labels at the board. And I know it's a requirement to label at the board that there are other sources of supply. However, not everyone does that. So it's just something that perhaps you should be making all these extra checks. So in terms of the, the kit you need, we've I think you already kind of did a bit of a, a, a list. But in terms of the voltage uh, indicator, um, what's your preference? Do you have a particular model? Oh, I've just bought a, uh, a Q-Tech one, a dedicated one. That's, um, what I had a lot for a long time was the Fluke T5, which mm-hmm. is sort of like a multi-purpose tester. It does continuity, it does ohms, it does um, current, I think, as well. But uh, And there's a clamp meter on it. But um, my understanding of what they call an approved voltage indicator is an instrument which only tests voltage. So it doesn't do continuity as well or anything else. And the purpose of that being is that other, you can't accidentally get a continuity reading and think, oh, yeah, that means there's, there's no load. Yeah. So it is fit for purpose, which is why I believe a multifunction tester can't be used as an approved voltage indicator. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've just bought this real neat little um, QTEC one, comes in a little bag, has approving unit attached i think it was around 120 quid including the vat and um it's safe isn't it what's what's 120 quid really no yeah you can't put a price on it it's probably uh, the first bit of toolkit you really want as an apprentice isn't it yeah i mean i think a lot of people obviously out there buying all these vetoes and they've got 17 pairs of cutters which cut the same bit of cable and they're 40 quid each so especially you see a lot on Instagram, but I think a good kit for safe isolation is imperative, really. Yeah, definitely. So the one I've got is the uh, Fluke T130. Yeah. So uh, the reason I like that one is obviously it's got the visible readout for the voltage as well, which is just an added level of, of information that I think it's always prudent to have. You know, if you're at 220, it also flags a lot of other issues for you, doesn't it? Of course it does, yeah. And obviously it's good to bear in mind the, the CAT rating of the um, the tester. Essentially different voltage bands. You get a CAT 1, which is electronic equipment. You get a CAT 2, which is single phase. CAT 3 will do three phase. And a CAT 4, from what I can understand here, is that it'll also do three phase at utility connections, so external tests as well. And they obviously come in different voltage peaks, up to 600 or up to 1,000 volts. That's useful useful information. Um, in terms of proving unit, I, I went for the um, the TIS one. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, just because my my last one was knackered, and uh, I didn't go and bother buying a, a dual, or dual set because I like my voltage indicator. Yeah, no, that's fair it. enough. And so the reason I went with the QTEC one is because it fits in the same pouch. So... I don't have one without the other. Yeah, no, fair enough. What's your opinions on testing with a proving unit over testing with a known supply? Um, obviously, there's some risks with the known supply element that, you know, 
any sort of level of confusion between moving between one supply to the other or there's multiple points of failure isn't there that maybe you didn't do it right or or any aspect of that i i just like having the separate unit to very promptly go from a to b i guess the main one is you are eliminating the risk of a main supply yeah exactly you don't have to deal with with live works yeah but at the same time i wouldn't perhaps see the issue with maybe a bit of both for the sake of 10 seconds of extra if it why i'd say why add like you say why add the risk no i I get it it's um i now i used to always use a known supply because my argument was i've got it so why not use it but again what if you've lost a phase or what if there's a, a broken neutral and you're getting a weird voltage or anything like that can happen whereas the proving unit is literally there to do one job so that's me done (laughs) <laughs> exactly yeah so i think in terms of the kit then we're looking at voltage indicator proving unit got your mcb lockouts you might even have some uh hasps or something slightly bigger um for any if you're dealing with molded case circuit breakers or if you're dealing with fuses or you know isolators in those sorts of settings you've got the the padlock and the key i think the the key thing is like you say Maybe throw, if it's got two, throw one away or cut it in half and retain that one key yourself at all times. Um, one of the bits of um, something that I learned along the way industrially as well is don't think you're not allowed to put your own padlock on. If there's an AP or someone else working on or being the person that formally you know, de-energizes the circuit for you to work on it and they put theirs on, you're fully entitled to put your padlock on. So nobody is, you know, re-energizing that if you're the person working on the system. No, that makes perfect sense, especially in that sort of environment where the current is a lot greater. Not that anything is okay, but just obviously it's even worse there. Why not have multiple approved persons, have two people locking it off so that like they do with the old missiles in the films, two people have to turn the key. Yeah. <laughs> but it's you know it's the same idea. I think the one-two system works. I think particularly when you've got uh, more than let's say one subcontractor working on a on an arranged supply, or you know things can get very uh, complicated very quick where you've got sub mains and different things going around commercial properties, industrial installs. Oh, exactly, and. Um... That's why you have to be, have your head about you. I think that's why the approved people do it, because it's someone who's been deemed competent and of sound mind to be able to safely isolate. Yeah, definitely. And obviously safety tags on any lock-off kit. And, and then I would I would argue that maybe you want to be putting up additional labelling signs, warning signs in and about the area whether it's a room whether it's a cupboard or whatever you know yeah, i think it's all an assessment of risk upon entering the workplace but i think in this instance more is better as i said at the start i think signs lock-offs um, even somewhere to call you i always like to have my number so if anyone does look at it and think i want to turn that on they can always call you mm-hmm. and i think barriers are good as well because it's a uh, you see a barrier walking down the road, you're like, oh, I'm not allowed to go in there. So that sort of logic is built into your head. So if you just put a little bit of barrier around the board area, then 
The... So I was just going to say about a couple of scenarios I've had that have just come to mind. Just obviously not anything I was in control of. I was a lot younger at the time, but um, there was a time on a building site, quite a hectic one. We were working up in a loft. And what kept happening, because we're doing the lighting joint boxes, is obviously the neutral and earth would touch at some point and trip the RCD out. So we then get back down at the loft, reset the RCD so everyone else could continue working and then climb back up. But um, at one point, the carpenter took it upon himself to try and sort of help us out, I guess, to reset the RCD. But what he'd actually done was reset the MCB and the RCD. And um, my mentor, who I was working with at the time, got a shock. And he just said to me, well, you know, don't don't touch anything. It's, it's all become alive. So we should have probably locked that off. But I knew nothing about it at the time. And I was obviously... New. I think it was my first week at work. So um, obviously it's good to do stuff like this to get it out there to make people aware that you can be as OTT as you want with safe isolation. So I should have known or been told at college and made a statement there. And the other one was um, I was helping someone else out. And what happened was the builder hadn't secured the sites and someone had broken and basically gone around and just cut all the wires where they could reach so he'd gone back in there and re-energized everything and yeah, my colleague was upstairs in the bedroom second fixing the light switch he stripped it all up made the light switch off screwed on the wall rocked the light switch and the light came on he'd somehow managed to second fix the light switch while the whole thing was completely live mm. Didn't realise, but again, where was the safe isolation on the re-energisation? I think I was fairly fortunate with the the, uh, the sparks I worked with. Got early doors and they just said, don't dare touch anything. Um, you know, ask the, ask the electrician to lick it. If they're happy for you to work on it, ask them to lick it. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a case of it won't just kill you, but it will hurt the whole time you're dying. Yeah, exactly. That's probably uh, the message to leave it on. I think I would challenge every apprentice, every new starter into the industry to go and get yourself, and you know, a lock-off kit. Um, appreciate that that's not cheap, but like Pete says, if you would rather spend it on a veto, I think this will be something that is much more worthwhile and could potentially save your life. And on that subject, if you message a lot of manufacturers. I think they would probably send you out a sample lock-off kit for nothing. I've known many manufacturers do that. And in the wholesalers, you can buy a small lock-off kit for about two quid. So even if it's just that, it's it's a start in the right direction. On that note, then? Well, I think that's a good, good point to end on. And uh, it's obviously not just about looking after yourself, but others. <laughs>